0: Hey, I'm Mike, one of the pastors here at Trinity Life, and I am sorry it's so hot in here. Um, that's why I just turned this fan around, so if it looks like I'm a model at times because my shirt's blowing in the wind, like, just go with it. Um, man, uh, summer's hit, huh? Cottage country, all our students are gone. Um, I wish you guys would, like, just sit in these first, like, five rows, but you don't have to move. Uh, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> so, um, like I said, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here. So, if you're new here with us, you received a connection card in your program, and you can just fill that out, put it in the offering bag as it goes by later, and uh, let that be your offering to us this morning. But, a couple things before we get started. One, uh, be in prayer for Daniel's family. Daniel and Linda, their family, they're in Detroit this weekend celebrating an awesome thing, um, they're celebrating a wedding. Daniel did, Daniel's the other pastor here at Trinity Life. They His niece got married this weekend, but remember, Daniel's mom just died three, four weeks ago. So it's like a time of celebration for the family, but it's also a time where they're like, ah, you know, we wish grandma was here, we wish mom was here, we wish uh, that she was just here with us. So I know for his niece, it was just... It was a tough time for her. Um, just mixed feelings, right? So just keep them in mind. Uh, they're coming back sometime today or tomorrow. But um, the other thing is, there's probably only one more week of you guys seeing me with this awesome beard. So I think um, I'm going to find out about Pakistan this week, and it may, it's either going to stay or go. Um, maybe I'll just shave all this, and I'll leave this. So <laughs> No, I got a lot of head shakes on that. Um, so we're in the middle of our of our series on Philippians, and we've been going through Philippians for a good 14, 15 weeks, and something like that. And we're almost to the end, guys. We're in, I, I've actually been waiting the whole series to preach these two verses. I've been waiting the whole series to get to this point in the book, because the book That we've been going through builds and builds and builds. I think to last week's verses and this week's verses, and this is like uh, this is like the climax of the letter that Paul has written to the church here, and uh, and these verses are just so pivotal in the Christian life and in Christian thinking. So we're going to talk a lot about that this morning um, as we dive into the text. Before we get started uh, with going to the text and in the scriptures. Two of my favorite movies of, yeah, I can say all time. <laughs> Two of my favorite movies are Inception. You guys have seen that, Inception, and V for Vendetta. Have you guys seen that? Okay. Now, if you haven't seen V for Vendetta, you're thinking, why why that? Uh, and if you haven't seen Inception, you missed out on life. Uh, no, it's, it's just a really good movie. But I don't like... I'm not like, I I don't love Inception because of the cinematography. It's not like, oh, they do really cool things. I don't love it because there's um, awesome actors or anything like that, Um, even though I love the actors in it. uh, I love it because, I love both those movies because it shows the power of an idea. It shows you that when there's an idea and it begins to take root, like how much power there is in an idea. And that's what the whole passage is about this morning. Paul is saying, let me give you some ideas, and let me show you the power of those ideas. Okay? Um, There's a guy named Megger Evers. He, uh, Teresa, she put up that quote? There's a guy named Megger Evers. Um, He has this quote, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. This guy was uh, one of the pioneers for the civil rights movement in the States, and most of you guys probably don't know that name. Um, I'm vaguely familiar with it just because um, I don't know why. But <laughs> uh, this quote, a lot of people know this quote. But it's because he was killed when he was 37 years old. He was assassinated in his, in his driveway at his home in Mississippi. Um, and he started pioneering the Civil Rights Movement after he, he was a veteran in World War II. So he goes and fights... Uh, for his country, and then he comes back, and he gets killed in his country. Uh, but this is one of his lasting quotes. You can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. I'm going to give you some ideas real quick, and I want you to see if you recognize where they come from. So let me, let me roll through these. Uh, these are powerful ideas that change nations, people groups, the world even. This one says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Everyone thinks that's supposed to be inalienable, but when they wrote it, it was unalienable. Uh, that among these are life, liberty, and the of happiness. Anyone know where that comes from? <laughs> yeah, I see Chicago raising her yeah, hand. That's, uh, that's right. Now she's crouching in her seat. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the Declaration of Independence. Now, whatever you think about America... That was written in the late 1700s, and it changed the face of a nation. It created a nation, right? This this idea, it was just an idea, and it created a nation. And then it went to impact the world, right? Um, let's go to the next one: Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. Whoa, who said that? Whoa, bam! Wow, you're smarter than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, French Revolution. Okay, this was this was a slogan of the French Revolution: liberty, equality, fraternity. The French Revolution actually came out of the American Revolution. A lot of people don't know that it started in 1789. Uh, around the same ideas, constitutional, other other ideas, you know, and their philosophers: Voltaire, Montesquieu, these guys who are writing about these things. And um, this isn't all of the ideas in the French Revolution, but these are. That was the main slogan of it. That ended up taking a nation out of a monarchy and turning it into a republic, okay? Just an idea. All right, go to the next one. <clears throat> nonviolence and love will lead to freedom for all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, or creed. That's the, that's the civil rights movement, <clears throat> mainly in, in the U.S. Uh, there's civil rights movements that's happened all, all across, but in the U.S., this is what what's spurred it on, nonviolence, Uh, with a combination of love. That was Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, platform, like nonviolence and love and freedom for all people. All right, I think this is the last one. Uh, The people deserve fair, free, and representative political and economic systems. This is a recent one. Anybody? This is the Arab Spring. So when the Arab Spring started in Tunisia, that was where the birthplace of it was, a lot of people don't know this. It started by a guy, a young guy, believing in this and setting himself on fire in front of the gov- one of the government buildings. And that turned into just a domino effect across North Africa in the Middle East. So Libya, I mean Gaddafi gets thrown over, um, Egypt, Syria... Um, Bahrain, Yemen, these, these countries, uh, and then to a lesser extent, other monarchies like Jordan and, and some others. Um, the Arab Spring went, went all across these. Now, that's, this is kind of a reducing the Arab Spring. and in, in each country, it was different. Um, and this, so this is kind of like a, gen, it's, we don't want to overgeneralize. But it was an idea. It was a simple idea that one person had, or a group of people had, that began to change the way people thought and practiced their lives. Um, Just a word on ISIS before we go into the text. ISIS isn't scary or powerful because it's just a simple terrorist organization. ISIS is powerful and scary because it's an ideology. And most people don't know this about ISIS, but it is fueled by ideas. One of the main ideas, and I won't get into all of it, but one of the main ideas in uh, ISIS is their eschatology. Now that's a big word. Eschatology just means the study of last things or or end times. And that fuels a lot of ISIS uh, practices, is how they view what's going to happen towards the end of the world. So a, a large part of what they're doing is trying to usher that in. And so ISIS is very powerful because it's this idea. And now we look at people and they immigrate to the caliphate and we're like, what's going on with them? They're They're morons, they're idiots. But actually, the lapse isn't in intellectual thinking. It's not an intellectual lapse. They've thought it through. They know why they're going to the caliphate. They know why they're going to immigrate there. The lapse is a moral one. Because this idea, this ideology, has become so rooted in people that it begins to change their morality. And they can accept immorality because of the power of an idea. Does that sound familiar in your own life? How many times do you accept immorality because of the power of an idea that's in your mind? Because of the power of sin in your life? That you're okay with saying, ah, it's okay. I can be a little immoral. I can mess up here. I can do the sin. It's just because of the power of an idea. And that's, that's what ISIS is capturing right now. So I want you to remember this idea. Um, this is the bottom line. I couldn't. So I have two sentences here. I couldn't figure out which one to use. So I'm just going to put both of them up there, and you can remember which one you want to remember. Uh, it says you are defined by what you put in your mind. That's the first one. I like it because it rhymes. <laughs> You're defined by what you put in your mind. the The second one is you live out what you allow in. Okay. You live out what you allow in. This is this is all Paul. Verse 8 says, think on these things. Verse 9 says, now practice these things. Okay? We think on these things in order to practice them. So the Christian faith this morning, if you're you're trying to get a grasp on on what Christianity is, it's not an idiotic faith. It's one that requires the mind. It's actually an intellectual faith. Okay? Uh, We'll talk more about that in a second. So let's look at at verse 8. Paul says here, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, he goes through this list. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable or noble, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, praiseworthy, think about these things. When he says think, it's actually a, a command. It's, he's saying, you have to do this. You need to do this. He's telling them to do this. And when he says it, he means think over and over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, that's, that's how it's, it's written in the Greek. It's, it's this present tense, like you need to do it over and over and over again. Don't stop doing it. Just keep on thinking on these things. Now, it's also really neat because, like I said, it's, it's a command. You know, thinking and learning isn't a passive activity. It's actually an active one. We have to do it. We have to put effort into it. Um, but the other thing is when we think on something, and the word has this essence and this connotation, uh, it goes in our mind and it begins to shape us. It begins to do something to us passively. So it's active and it's passive at the same time. And, it, and when we think on these things, we allow something in to begin to shape our hearts and our minds. Okay? So he says, let's roll through this list he says think on these things. First thing, whatever is true. Whatever is true. Now, I'm just, I'm putting these words up here for you because they say you retain something um, 90% more effectively when you hear it and you see it. So that single word is what I want you to see as I'm talking to you about it. Um, and I want it to like go in mind today. Like Paul wants it to from the scriptures, so he says, think on whatever is true. Now, this this word is literally pertaining to those things that actually occur, the things that actually happen. So when he says think on things that are true, he's saying think on things that actually take place, think on things that actually happen. How much of your your thought life and your physical life is, is just wasted on thinking and worrying about things that haven't actually happened. When I was uh, growing up, so I grew up, I was, I'm an 80 baby. I was born in, in 1980. And so I kind of grew up in the 80s, but mostly in the 90s um, is what I, what I look, look towards, I guess. Um, in the 90s, Aliens were big, okay? Like, aliens, like, everyone, like, Independence Day came out, which it's coming out, like, again, 20 years later or something. No, Will Smith isn't in it. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, what's the point? So, uh, X-Files was big. Um, there are all these shows on alien abductions. Um, like, all these conspiracy theories were big. Maybe that's Maybe that's still a thing, I don't know, but... It seemed really big in the 90s. Well, my parents loved watching those shows. We only had one TV in the house, and we had like two channels. So um, it was either watch Aliens or go read a book or something. And I wasn't going to do that um, in the 90s. I would do that now, but not then. Uh, So I'd have to watch these shows, and it would freak me out. I would go to bed at night, and I'd be so scared That I was going to be abducted by aliens. Um, There's this one show where this kid, he was abducted, he didn't know, but he woke up and he had a bloody nose. And and like each time when he would go to bed, if he woke up with a bloody nose, he'd known he was abducted that night. And so every morning I'd wake up and check my nose. (laughs) It's like, oh no, was I abducted? Uh, Maybe I didn't know I was. And so I spent a lot of time like worrying about something that was probably never going to happen. Um, I say probably because it never happened. I don't know. I don't know if there's any truth in it or not. I would lean towards no. Um, but I spent a lot of time going to bed at night worrying about that. Um, what if I was abducted? What if this? What if that? What are your what ifs? What is what is a what if for you that is distracting you from thinking on things that are true, things that have actually occurred? Is it, it may not be aliens, but it may be, what if I don't get that job? What if my kids don't turn out right? What if I never find this person? What if my career never goes anywhere? What if I die tomorrow? I don't know what your what if is, but Paul's saying here, don't think about those what-ifs. Think about what is true. Now, don't take that and say, oh, why shouldn't I dream? Why shouldn't I think about the future? You should. You just shouldn't worry about it. Remember, Paul has written this right after he wrote uh, the passage I preached on last week, verses 6 and 7, where he says, offer all those things up to God and don't worry about them, he says. So here he's saying, yeah, just think on things that are true. Just think on things that have already occurred, and that's going to that's gonna, um, push you forward. Think on things that are true. So secondly, he says, whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, this word is literally talking about things that are higher, things that are above. You know, how much time do you spend thinking on things that are below or on the earth and not thinking on things that are above? Okay, some of you guys are going to hate me right now. Um, but if you feel convicted, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let's talk about culture for a second. Let's talk about the culture we live in, um, and just culture. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it down to music. We talked, I mentioned this last week, the music we listen to, okay? Um, all right, brace yourselves, okay? The music we listen to. Some of you guys are already thinking, if you've grown up in church, you're like, here we go. This is like the youth pastor speech. He's going to tell us what we listen to is corrupting our morals, not to watch rated R movies, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to tell you that, those things. Uh, I might say a little bit of them. I'm not going to tell you that fully. Um, because guess what? It's not about secular versus Christian. Okay? That's not what it's about. Um, I actually... Don't love the Christian, like the contemporary Christian music scene. I'm not, I don't know anything about that really. Um, It's not about pitting those two things against each other, it's about critically engaging with your intellect versus lazy acceptance. It's about taking something, putting it in your mind that is beneficial not something that's detrimental, okay? So it's about just critically engaging. And so let's, let's, take, let's take music. Um, most of us, a lot of us, listen to music, and it just, we like the beat, whatever it is, we listen to it, and we're okay with the lyrics because we're either not listening to them or we've just accepted, like, that's okay, everyone else is listening to it. It's on the top 40, whatever, I actually looked at the top 40 this week just to make sure I was in the right on this. <laughs> I, had, I didn't recognize any of the songs, <laughs> I don't listen to the top 40. Um, but I went, to, I went and YouTube each of those songs, not each of them, probably about 15 of them, um, and I actually felt compelled to delete all the cookies and stuff off my internet after I did that because the videos were so horrible. Um, They were so bad. Uh, It was all about sex and money and the pursuit of those things. Um, this This is our top 40. Now, I do listen to the top 40 sometimes, but not for entertainment. I listen to it to see what our culture values. I listen to it to see what our culture is pursuing, what are the idols in our culture. That's critical engagement. So what I want for you is not for you to just blindly accept something for your entertainment. I'd rather you critically engage or wisely engage for God's glory, okay? And for you to be built up. Now, here's the feeble argument that I've gotten before um, is, oh, that stuff doesn't affect me. Like, I can listen to it. It's fine. It doesn't affect me. And I say it's a feeble argument because... Um, it's easily dismantled. Like, it's, that's just, that's a lazy argument. If you're thinking that right now, um, it's just a lazy argument. You know, those things do affect you one way or the other. Now, the cool thing is, when you are pursuing God's glory and not just your entertainment, you can take that effect and redeem it to build you up instead of tear you down. Okay? And you get to control the effect. You don't, you don't have to be controlled by the effect. Does anyone hate me right now? I don't know what you guys listen to. I didn't. I didn't like check your playlists or anything, or I don't know what concerts you go to, all that stuff. But this even goes for what's considered Christian music, guys. Like, there's so much music that's considered Christian music that is horrible out there. It's horrible theology. It's it. It's just very um, uh, watered down. It's it's just not good. And when you when those songs get in your head and you think that's who Jesus is and you're not thinking on this, you're thinking on those songs because there's a beat or a tune to it, like that can be just as detrimental, okay? So I, would, I just want you to stop lazy, lazily accepting things and actually to start wisely engaging what you ingest, what you listen to, what you watch, what you participate in because that's going to put you in control of the situation instead of being controlled by our culture, Does that make sense? All right. Let's go on to what is just. So Paul says, now whatever is just, think on this as well. Now whatever is just can also pertain to things that spur on justice. Okay, so he's talking about whatever is right, whatever whatever is correct. This word is used of Jesus a lot. Whatever is righteous, um, think on this. Now, this kind of comes off the music discussion. One of the, I actually ingest, put in my mind, allow things in my mind that are unjust every day. It's, it's one of the first things I do every day, actually. It's the news. I read the world news every day. Um, it's, it's part of my, my morning. Um, and just to, just to, well, I won't get into it, but I read it every day, and it's one of the most unjust things you can read. Uh, not because there's biases in the media, blah blah blah, but just because the news reports unjust things. I mean, I could go on and on about what I read this week about um, what happened to a 14-year-old girl in Brazil. If you've read, if you read that, you know what I'm talking about. I won't go into it. Um, uh, what happened to a uh, a family in India? What happened to what's happening in Syria? You know, we can go on and on. So much, so much uh, injustice. So many unjust things. But the key is, it spurs me on towards justice. Okay? You see how we just took something that was unjust, and now we've redeemed it to spur us on to something that produces justice. And you can do that with music, you can do that with uh, Netflix, (laughs) you can do that with, with all the things that our culture has created. Uh, because we've been given that power by, uh, by God. So don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not hating on culture. I actually love culture. But so many of us as Christians just accept culture for what it is. When at the very beginning of the Bible, God says we are to create culture for his glory. And so instead of just accepting culture, why don't you try creating culture? In order to do that, we need to think on these things. He says we carry his image into creation, and that's how we create culture. So next thing is, so whatever is just, whatever is noble, whatever is true, he says whatever is pure. Now, we like to use the rationale, like, oh, it's okay if there's a little violence. Okay, it's it's okay if there's a little uh put it whatever you want in the blank. Um but once you have something that's pure and holy and undefiled and you just put in a little speck of dirt, what happens? It becomes impure immediately, just from a little speck. Okay, so there's there's no like middle ground. It's either pure or it's not pure. And Paul here's saying, "Think on things that are pure, So it's not okay if there's a little. And I know what you're saying. You're like, what's he saying? Like, we should just read our Bibles all the time? (laughs) We should just pray all the time? Uh, Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, But I'm not saying that because we're so far from that. Like, we couldn't do that. It's not like today we could say, okay, I'm just going to read my Bible all the time. You don't even read your Bible some of the time. How are you going to start reading your Bible all of the time? And so baby steps, guys. Let's just take baby steps towards weeding things out that are impure and putting things in that are pure. You get to control that. Paul here, he's not putting a a jail cell on you. He's not restricting you, putting shackles on you. He's actually empowering us. He's empowering us to think for ourselves. You get to choose that. The Bible is all about this. In the Old Testament, uh, in the first five books, Moses says to people, stop choosing death. He says, instead, choose life. You get to do that. You have the power to do that. You have the ability to choose life. Why do you keep on making poor decisions and choosing death when life is right at your doorstep? Paul saying the same thing here. So I don't want you to feel like guilty this morning or convicted. That's not the point this morning. The point is to feel empowered and say, yeah, you know what? I don't need that in my life, whatever it is. I don't need to listen to the top 40. Uh, or I need to listen to it in a different way. And probably 35 of the top 40, you, you'll you stop listening to, <laughs> um, based on what, what the lyrics are. So just, just uh, wisely engage. That's what Paul is trying to give us the power to do here. And he says to do that by thinking on things that are pure, uh, and then also think on things that are lovely. Now, this is a really cool word here. Actually, let me back up real quick to pure. I just thought of something. Um, you know, because some of you guys might be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, I mean, it's just a little bit of this. It's just a little bit. It's not, it's not corrupting me. This was back in the, going back to the 90s. Uh, actually, going back before then, you, we can see the evolution of video games, and, uh, and violence in video games. And I played all these games growing up, so you can judge me. Uh, but there's a video game that kind of kick-started the violent uh, revolution. Uh, it's a, ga- a game called Death Race. It came out in, like, 1976 or something. And it was stick figures. It wasn't even, like, bloody or anything, but it had cars, like, running over stick figures. And the whole point was to hit pedestrians. And, and then in the 90s, Mortal Kombat comes out. And if any of you guys grew up in the 90s, you know when Mortal Kombat came out. It was like, uh, there's a whole argument against it. Actually, 2010, the state of California has, um, I think they passed it. They passed a law against uh, too much violence in video games. A whole state. Um, recognize this. But anyways, uh, so Mortal Kombat comes out. It's like uh, graphic violence and, you know, pulling out spines and blood and and stuff like that. I played that game, uh, you know, my family started going to church in the 90s and I played that game in the youth group. (laughs) So that's where I got exposed to it. Christians not critically engaging. So, um, Mortal Kombat comes out, and then Grand Theft Auto. That whole revolution happens, and you have a video game where your eight-year-old can beat up prostitutes and steal cars and sell drugs, and it's all a video game, and it's it's awesome because it's just a video game, guys. Uh, and you guys are some of you guys might be thinking, "Oh, what's the big deal?" That's the big deal that we don't think it's a big deal. After that, we started taking. Uh, one of the most violent things in history, war, and making it into a video game. And so now war games are huge: call of duty, halo, all these all these games. And all they're doing is like um, glamorizing war. Now, most of the people who play those games have never stepped foot in a war zone, but they're okay playing it on a video game. So these things that's how you go from pure and you inject a little bit of dirt and it becomes more and more impure, okay, because then you just become okay with it. Um, that's my last thing on the culture. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I don't even play video games, why is you talking about video games? Um, but we all, most of us grew up in, in that era, and we just become, we've just become hardened to to those things. All right, lovely. This is a really cool word here, whatever is lovely. and. What it's talking about is that which calls forth love. So when Paul says think on things that are lovely, he's saying think on things that call forth love, not hate, not violence, not, not anything like that. There's two, two nations in particular in, in the world. Uh, I mentioned one earlier that took nonviolence and love and paired them together and saw a nation change. The U.S. did that with the Civil Rights Movement the uh, the nation of India did that with Gandhi. He and and you know what Gandhi? All he Gandhi's one of Gandhi's main practices every morning was to read the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, meditate on that, and then live that out. I don't know if he was a follower of Jesus. I can't say if he was or not, um, but he followed the Sermon on the Mount, and and I'm not gonna say like. I'm not going to talk about pacifism per se and say that, yes, we need to be pacifists, but I will say this, violence is often birthed out of lack of control and the desire to control, okay? You look at um, nations like North Korea and and some other nations where, uh, you know, the the old Iraq, uh, ISIS, um, it's a lack of control, It's birthed out of, and they feel like they need to control. So they resort to violence. Love is birthed from a different place. Love is actually birthed out of full self control and the desire to empower others. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. He's saying, when you call forth what is lovely, you actually empower other people. So he says, think on what is lovely. And then he goes through, through a couple more things. He says, whatever is commendable, that's pretty self-explanatory. If there's any excellence, that actually refers to, to moral goodness, which we've already talked about. Uh, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's anything praise-worthy, anything that gives worth to God, that praises God, think on these things. Wow. how We could just take that one word and evaluate our lives. Like, how much of what you think about actually praises God? How much of your time and your thoughts are devoted to things that praise God? He says, think, think on those things. That's what's going to you, bring you life. And then he says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard And seeing in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul ended the last passage with saying, the peace of God is going to guard your hearts and your minds, and then he ends this passage with saying, if you do these things, and if you think on them and practice them, the God of peace is going to be with you. The God of peace, you know, we, we wonder why... You wonder why you're so dissatisfied with life. You wonder why you're discontent. You wonder why um, you have low self-esteem. You wonder why uh, you're just chasing after things and nothing's coming to fulfillment. It's because instead of thinking on things that are true, we tend to think on things that are false. False. People tell us these things. Uh, the media tells us these things. Instead of thinking of things that are honorable or noble, we think on things that are dishonorable or ignoble. Instead of just, unjust. Instead of pure, we think on things that are impure. And we fill ourselves, instead of with what is lovely, we fill ourselves with what calls forth hate and not what calls forth love. And Paul's saying it's actually pretty simple. If we just focus on these things, we'll begin to practice them. We will, if we put these things in our minds, we'll actually live these things out. Okay. Um, our our um, vision statement, mission statement, purpose statement, whatever you want to call it uh, here at Trinity Life Church is discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. Okay, so it has three pieces there. Discovering identity, which is just knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. So when Paul says think on things that are true, let me tell you some things that are true about you this morning. You are a, you were made to be a son or daughter of the living God. Whether you're living that life or not, whether you realize it or not, That's who God created you to be. We all have the same identity in Christ. When we are in Christ, when we believe in him, when we follow him, we all have that same identity, that we are approved. So this morning, stop striving. You're approved in Christ Jesus. Stop striving for God's approval. Stop striving for anybody's approval. You're already approved by the one who created everything. Don't worry about those things anymore. That's your identity in Christ. The second part is your destiny in Christ. Now, a lot of times we think that refers to purpose and what is my purpose? What what does God have for me in my life? Actually, no, we're not there yet. Um, Your destiny is the same as my destiny, is the same as Adam's destiny, is the same as Mel's destiny. We all have the same destiny in Christ. And that's coming out of our identity as sons and daughters. Now we have become ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. So we have the power now to reconcile this world to God, to reconcile culture to God, to create culture. We all have this ability. We all have uh, been given certain things, but we all have the same destiny to bring glory and honor to God. Now the third part is where you influence specific to you, influence our city and the world. And that's where your gifts come in. That's where your Uh, your passions come in. That's where your uh, personality comes in. That's where your your vocation, your job, your family upbringing, uh, all these things come in. And you get to influence our city and the world in a specific way because God's created you uniquely to do that. You have certain giftings, and that should empower you. So stop comparing yourselves to others. That's not thinking on things that are true and honorable, that's thinking on things that are the opposite. You don't need to compare yourself to someone else because God created you specifically for a specific purpose, for something in order to influence our city and the world for his glory. Like, that's beautiful. That's the Christian faith, guys. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to be as good as your, your brother or your sister uh, in your family if you get compared to your siblings. You don't have to do what your dad or your mom did. You don't have to be as successful as that guy at your work or, or that, that girl. You don't have to be those things because God's created you uniquely to do something specifically for him. Um, I'm reading a book right now called The Alchemist. Has anyone heard of that book? Has anyone read that book? Okay. First 30 pages have changed my life. <laughs> Man, that's a little drastic. Maybe not changed my life. Um, but it's just the season I'm in right now, they've really like unlocked something for me. And uh, if you're familiar with the scriptures, the, the alchemist has the scriptures all over it. Um, uh, so it's a, book, it's a book by a guy named Paulo Coelho, if you're wondering. It's probably about 25, 30 years old. Um, instant, instant classic or contemporary classic. It's, uh, it's referred as. Uh, but when it came out, Nobody blinked an eye to it. He wrote it in Brazil. Um, no one grabbed a hold of it. It's not until uh, years later that it kind of blew up. So uh, this book, there's this there's this point in the book. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm not Daniel. I'm not going to ruin things for you. He always uses like movies as illustrations, and they ruins the ending. So if you ever if he ever goes into one and you see me doing this, la 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 la, it's because I don't want the ending to be ruined. <laughs> so um, this book, in the first 20, 30 pages or so, the main character meets this guy, and he's talking to this guy in this little plaza, square of the town area. And uh, the main character is, is a shepherd, and, and he says, I became a shepherd to travel the world. I had a dream of traveling, and he just wanted to travel all over, so he became a shepherd. And the old, and the old man says, yeah, the baker over there, he wanted to travel too, but instead, He became a baker uh, because he knows that other people value that more than they value a shepherd. They value that station in life more. And now he's not living his dream. But the thing is, he never realized that at any point in his life, people are capable of living out their dreams. When I read that, I was like, ah, yeah. I mean, I can't believe, like, such a powerful statement. He said, At any point in their lives, people are capable of doing what they dream of. And we forget that. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. He says, think on these things, practice these things, and you're capable of doing anything you dream of. Because now, you're not comparing yourself to other people. Now, you're not um, controlled by culture. You're actually choosing to be empowered by it. Because now you're critically engaging. Because now you're thinking for yourself. Because now, people aren't forcing whatever it is onto you. And we get to do that as Christians. That's your identity in Christ. That's your truth in Christ. That's your destiny in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, we actually have the mind of Christ. Now, if we're followers of Jesus, we've been given the mind of Christ. So if you're an unbeliever in here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus... Um, it's going to be difficult for you to fully do this. For all of us in here, we need our thought life to be redeemed. Jesus does that. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you need your thought life to be redeemed. Jesus does that for you. Like I said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2, right before, two chapters right before this, he says, this mind is yours that is in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that he's done this. That Jesus takes what is impure, what is unjust, what is dishonorable, what is what calls forth hate, what is not commendable, what is not excellent, what is not praiseworthy. Jesus takes all those things, and he actually makes you a new creation. So he takes all those things out of you, and he makes you a new creation in Christ, so that you would be what he calls a minister of reconciliation, creating culture and reconciling all things to God in Christ Jesus. And and Paul says this really powerful thing there. He says, Jesus did that. He made himself sin. He took on all of our sin, all of our impurities, all of our falsehoods, all of those things. He took on all of that. Him who knew no sin in order that you might become the righteousness of God. That you might become the justice of God. That you might live out what is pure, what is just. That you get to call those things out of our society. And he made you that as a new creation. And that is your truth this morning. Your truth isn't the the lies that the culture tells us. Your truth is that... God made you to reconcile all things to himself, and he's empowering us to do that this morning by thinking on things that are good and honorable and pure so that we would practice them out. That's your identity. That's your destiny, and that's how you influence our city and the world. If you would just accept that, you'll begin to influence our city and the world.